It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia coming at you. We're going to break down this weekend's UFC Fight Night, which is headlined by Paul Felder and Rafael Desanyas. And we're also going to get into last week's Santos versus Teixeira fight card. The old man does it again, Nick. Yeah, that was an that was an exciting fight. Listen, I can't remember if I outright picked Teixeira last week or if I just told you that I was very surprised that you picked the fight so early. And I remember making, you know, being very uncertain, but... I had a feeling. I'm going to say it. I had a feeling. That said, Glover got his ass in trouble a few times. He got, he can be, you know, he can be hurt. He's resilient and durable, but he was, you know, he was on Silly Street a couple of times and Santos did everything to try to get him out of there. But everyone forgets because Glover came in with such hyped boxing that his sweeps, his jujitsu, his top control are fantastic and that leads to his power going from you know the great power he has standing up to just merciless ground and pound also in addition to his chokes so like he's for i mean he's still he's still great we also forget and someone you know someone uh and i think it might have been michelle waterson or either that or someone claiming to be michelle waterson on reddit uh put posted the gif of john jones doing the uh the move that tore to share his labrum that kind of like uh shoulder twist and and the comment was was anyone you know was any has any fighter ever been better than like anabolic peak john jones and that's you know i think that and a couple you know a couple things happened he also got slaughtered by anthony johnson when everyone except for cormier was um was getting put down by aj so it's you know it's easy to sleep on Tashara, but forty one, he's on a hell of a streak, and uh, he's looked you know he's looked pretty darn good pretty much in every he's he had that that Carl I think it was Carl Robertson right like uh, maybe maybe Flash KO'd him for and then he came back from those a series of just brutal elbows to his head, and then he took some big shots from Santos, but he won both of those fights. Resilient dude hasn't. It's been since since Gustafson that he really got pieced up, right? Or did he lose a split decision uh, after after that? No, he he definitely had a loss since then. Let me see here. So wow, no, he's he's actually on a five fight win streak. His last loss was Corey Anderson by decision, who basically I I think he out jabbed him, outstruck him at a distance, and it's fascinating because so did Alexander Gustafson, like out technique him standing, right? So it seems like. The only, like if you're going to outstrike Glover Teixeira, you better have excellent takedown defense. And if you don't, you're probably going to be in a world of trouble. Because let's face it, Tiago Santos came in as a meddling middleweight into the light heavyweight division, right? And then he ended up turning everything around. And had his, and had his knees reconstructed in the last year. Here's the thing, though. Just a couple of fights ago when he fought Jimmy Manoa, he was just a sloppy just as foolish and leading up to this not only did you see the upset potentially coming but if you listen to tape from last weekend i spoke about how my big concern about picking santos is that he's going to blow his load after he hurts uh and then he won't be able to finish him and then he'll be exhausted and that's kind of what happened here um 
Tiago Santos is still a meddling middleweight. I think we overrated his win over Jan Blackwitz, and not because Jan Blackwitz is not a great fighter, but because, you know, in that one moment, Jan Blackwitz ran forward and Santos countered him, and that was that. And it was a like a really kind of slow-paced fight where almost nothing happened outside of that. Outside of that, he has wins over Jimmy Manuel, who's not a successful fighter, Eric Andrews, who's not that successful, Kevin Holland, who's not close to this level, right? Um, and then he had that split decision with John Jones, which made everybody think that he's a great, great, great fighter. But Tiago Santos is probably still, give or take, the same guy. He's just improved to an extent, but not to uh, the extent necessary. Uh, Glover Teixeira, man, he made it through those rough moments, dragged them down to the ground, and once it was on the ground, he was dominant. And from what I understand, Tiago Santos is either working on or has already gotten his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He did not act like it at all. Uh, I think uh, earlier in his career, he hated training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's taken more of a passion for it now. But it did not look for it like it in this fight. It looked to me like as soon as he was in bottom position, he forgot all of his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu technique. But yeah, he hurt uh, Glover Teixeira twice. Nick could not take advantage of it. Essentially blew his load, and Glover Teixeira comes through once again as a kind of a big underdog here, putting five fights together over a bunch of young guys. Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, Nikita Krilov, Ian Kutelaba, Carl Robertson. None of these guys are world beaters, right? But these are pretty dangerous fighters, every single one of them. And Glover Teixeira made it through some rough moments in every single one of those fights to win. Listen, so a lot of props to him. He's a live, he is, he's a very live dog against Jan Vlahovic, and I think he matches up quite well against him. If he gets if he gets uh, that fight, yeah. it's very close to a pick him fight in my estimation. Um, yeah, I don't know if it'll be close to pick him. I, I tend to think uh, it'll be two to one in uh, in the favor of the champion. But uh, you're right; like it probably should be closer to that. Teixeira has shown us time and again that that man is not easy to deal with by any means. If there's a possibility of a takedown, he's going to make it a really rough night for you, and he did that. To Tiago Santos, we had Andre Arlovsky, the old man, coming in, picking up Ugh. a close decision win Ugh. over Tanner Bowser. Yeah, it wasn't very exciting. I think I mentioned how I'm hoping that these two guys won't just like circle in front of each other for a while, and that's kind of how it turned out. Tanner Bowser, even though he's coming off of two knockout wins going into this fight, was actually known for this very boring uh, kind of Leonardo Machida karate style from a distance. That's exactly how he played it here. It was basically Tanner, Bose's, Tanner Bozer's output. He landed more shots, right? But they were light pitter-patter shots, whereas Andre Arlovsky occasionally landed these bombs, these clean bombs right to the jaw. And that's, I think, what edged it for him in the judge's eyes. I don't have much of a problem with the decision. No, I, mean, um, I don't I think anyone did. does. No, I mean, it was competitive. And I think I think on uh, MMA decisions, uh, there were a bunch of people that also picked Tanner Bowser. So it was a competitive fight. Um, and I wouldn't have complained strongly if Tanner Bowser picked it up. But Andre Arlovsky did land the fewer but harder, cleaner shots. The man still has it, especially if you're not going to put it on him. And it's tough to put it on a good counter striker. And Andre Arlovsky... Olofsky to this day is still fast, man. If we look at his record over the past little while, he's three and one. That's the same Arlovsky that right before that, Nick, his record was two and seven. That's I'm sorry, two and eight, Nick. He was going two and eight between 2016 and 2019, and he's really revived his career. Kind of makes you think twice. Maybe Anderson Silva can still do it. Maybe he can. No, he can't. Um, yeah. So, so a good co-main event. What did you think? Of I didn't think it was a very good co-main event. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted more. I was. I. Bozer seemed a little starstruck and, and and scared and a little you know slow to pull the trigger. Arlovsky's got his old man strength. He he called his shots. He landed enough. But the really exciting fight, the most you know, um, 
if there was something that was co-main event in the hearts and minds of the fans, it was Ronnie Barcelos um, putting on an absolute hit him from everywhere striking clinic against a tough guy, Khalid Taha. This is the kind of fight that I would compare to uh, Zabit's fight against like a Kyle Bochniak. I think that was uh, who he fought, where it was like for at least the first two rounds, it was, you know, Zabit coming out party. Um, and a lot of people knew about Barcelos, but I feel, I don't, you know, I don't think, okay. A lot of people knew about Barcelos, but at the same time, I don't think a lot of people knew about Barcelos. Like people in the know have been following him thought, you know, thought that his victory over Nurmagomedov, uh, the other Nurmagomedov, um, he had a, he had a victory over say Nurmagomedov, right? Yeah. Was, uh, you know, was not a, um, you know, was not a fluke and that he was the real deal. I mean, we saw skills everywhere in this fight against Khalid Taha. He just looked like a million bucks. He's not that young. I think is he 33 or 35? 33. Um, but he's put together a UFC winning streak of five, a five-fight winning streak. Not against, like, the absolute toughest competition. Um, he also has a win over Bobby Moffitt, who had that really good fight against um, who's the redneck uh, who's our redneck, yep. our redneck grappler? What's his name? Yep. Oh my god, I can't remember. Uh, the but, Bryce oh, Mitchell, who, who has a who, yeah, he had who had a. It was actually fight. lost to Bryce Mitchell. Yeah, he lost to Bryce fight. Mitchell. It was a, yeah, but it was a great fight. Yep. Um. So he beat you know yeah, he beat Bobby Moffat. Like he's just he's absolutely uh for real. Tapology has him ranked the number number thirteen, uh, fighter in the bantamweight weight class above guys like Ricky Simone, Sugar Shane. I'm sorry, Sugar Sean. Uh, and, and Dominic Cruz. I can't remember what they have lined up next for Cheeto Vera, but that would be the shit. I would be very much into that. I'm pretty sure Cheeto Vera at this point is booked against someone. I think he is too. It escapes me. Yeah, it escapes me who he's booked against. I, I would be into that matchup. For Cheeto, though, it would be all risk and no reward because I don't think a whole lot of very highly ranked fighters are excited about fighting Honey Barcelos. Honey Barcelos, has inc- right incredible boxing technique nick solid wrestling solid black belt level brazilian jiu-jitsu like he is not a jack of all trades he's kind of a master of all trades and it's genuinely impressive here's the thing i expected that honey would really need a lot of takedowns to beat kalitaha and he did incorporate that into his game he always does right that's part of his pressure game but in this matchup nick he just walked straight forward through boxing combinations against an extremely heavy hitter who was known for his hands, and he completely dominated him. I thought that he looked incredible, Nick. You likened him to uh, kind of prime early in his career, Jose Aldo. I don't think that's inaccurate, Nick. He looks so good, except Jose Aldo, when he was aggressive, he would smoke people in about 30 seconds, and he, when he wasn't aggressive, they would always go to decisions, whereas, uh, you know, Harney Barcelos once in a while will go to the scorecards as he did in his last two bouts. But, man, did Kalita show a lot of heart can I just say, a lot of guys would have folded under that pressure. A lot of guys would have found a way out. Khalid never gave up, never stopped trying. And, yeah, I, I think uh, Khalid Taha made a decent accounting of himself, but Honey Barcelos is so a here's, spectacular So here's the fight to make. And I know, okay, even though this guy's ranked 17th right now, um, as far as fans are concerned with the performances he's been putting on, particularly during COVID, a fight between these two gentlemen to get access to a top 10 contender uh, is the move Casey Kenny against Hani Barcelos, and with the winner of that fight getting an Aldo and Edgar and a Sun Sao, a Cody No Love, 
one of those guys. Um, preferably one of the younger ones. Like, there's no way Edgar, you know. But K- oh, Casey Kenny, Kenny against Barcelos. Oof. I would probably pick Barcelos based on what we've seen. I think he's got more pop. Um, but, I mean, Jesus Christ, that would be, I mean, I'm salivating. That's a fucking bonkers, bonkers matchup. It has to happen. That this one thirty, this one like, I mean, it's got, it's got, it's, it's this weird mix right now of like veterans, guys who have peaked and are slightly on their way down, and like, and guys like Tavashvili and Kenny and Barcelos and uh, and who are you know shooting up, like it's one thirty five is just on fire right now. It really is. There's a decent chance that 135 pounds is the most stacked division uh, in the UFC right now. Here's the thing. Honey Barcelos, he's not even in the top 15 rankings of the actual UFC rankings, right? Okay. Think about that, Nick. Yeah, tap- that's how Topology good that has him is. has him 13. Yeah, Topology is probably a little bit more accurate than they should be because the UFC website has Marlon Vera at number 15 with guys like uh, you know Cody Stamen above him and and Rob Font above him, which I'm not so sure yeah, is. They have Vera at, at twelve, but they all Tapology has Vera at twelve, but they also have Font and Cody No Love above him. Yeah, I mean everybody puts yeah. a little marketing into this mix. I'm not sure. I think Frankie Edgar deserves to be number eight, particularly when Jose Aldo's number I'm ten, and I don't think Frankie will ever have. And by the Aldo's way, Frankie number. Edgar on the UFC website is number five, and it's all because he has that win over Pedro Munoz that. I personally think was very disputed, really very disputed decision. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't disputed enough in my opinion. Cause everybody loves Frankie, but yeah, uh, I did think that Frankie earned uh, uh, that Pedro Munoz earned that fight, which kind of explains Frankie Edgar's ranking. I still put it as, as controversial, not robbery, but yeah. Anyway, let's bang through the rest. Yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah I, hear that. I love that distinction um, as, as I, as, as our dozens and dozens of listeners know. The dozens and dozens, Nick. Yeah. Uh, look, it was it, it was really phenomenal performance by Honey. I'm very much looking forward to seeing him compete again. Chika Chikadze ran through Jamie Simmons. It was that left body kick followed by the left head kick. Just some, you know, kind of a basic soup to nuts kind of setup in uh, kickboxing and Muay Thai. And it worked brilliantly against Jamie Simmons, the wrestler who took the fight on short notice. Yeah, I mean, listen, like... Chikadze is one of these guys who's decided to use decided to use COVID to figure his shit out and get comfortable in the UFC, and he ro- he's rolled the dice, and it's working out really really well. He's he's gone from a sort of talented but tepid point fighter to a very aggressive kickboxing specialist, uh, and he's hurting guys. They'll, I mean. He has dominated his, you know, his last four rounds in the octagon, and he's. I think he's ready for. He's a guy that's also, you know, ready for a name. I don't know who you give him. I, I, I hesitate to give him Bryce Mitchell. Is he ready for Barbosa, for Burgos, for Dan Iga, for Sadiq Youssef? Uh, one of those guys. Do you give him Jeremy Stevens uh, as a, you know, who he'll probably beat? I think he called out Arnold Allen, but I might be wrong. That might have been somebody else, but. There's there's lots of interesting fights between ten and fifteen uh, for Chikadze, and I think he's I think he's ready for one. I think that he's he's had enough warming up and he's good to go. Yeah, I'm there with you. I, I definitely think so. His only really kind of notable solid opponent that Chikadze has beaten so far was Omar Morales in his last bout. It was very very impressive, but you know, it was a fellow kickboxer. I think it would be nice to see him face a wrestler that actually has a shot, that actually has something for him standing where he can adequately defend himself. Uh, Jamal Embers, back when he fought him, you know, Jamal took the fight on short notice, and Jiga wasn't incredibly 
aggressive at that point. He's been a lot more aggressive lately. I love what I'm seeing, and I'm looking forward to Giga coming back and doing more of that thing. I agree with you. I think I think let's let's give this guy a name. He's been kind of running through some lower level uh, competition, so definitely there with you. Yao Ninyan, Zhao Ninyan. Uh, I you know I recommend that I bet on her. I believed in her against Claudia Gadelia, and I talked about how Claudia has this issue with conditioning. She always has. Uh, it could be a genetic thing. I think it's more likely a mental thing, and that she is not kind of pacing herself. She had a really good first round where she scored two takedowns, held top position for a while, but then Yao Ninjan, her speed, her boxing, her aggression took over in rounds two and three, and she took a, a very clean-cut decision. What were your thoughts on this one? Exactly. I mean, exactly what you said. I don't know if she carries a little too much muscle or what, but I think I don't think Gadea has has much uh, has much left to offer, unfortunately, uh, against the top, against no, the top the ten of the level. division. Yeah. Um, uh, Trevin Giles did exactly what you thought. Bevan Lewis has some kind of psychological block. Uh, I think uh, I think he's a physically talented specimen, but he he goes deer in the headlights in the cage, and it's not getting any better. So I don't know. Exa- Do you know what I think it is, Nick? I have a theory. Uh, Bevan Lewis, from what I understand, is John Jones' main training partner, and it looks to me when I see him fight like he's in sparring mode. He's kind of the guy that's supposed to help the guy, right? And he's supposed to go light on John Jones. You don't want to hurt the guy going to a fight, but you do want to give him rounds. And it seems like Bevon Lewis is kind of stuck in that mode, whereas Trevin Giles was throwing bombs. Bevon Lewis had the skill to win the fight, right? But and, and I spoke about this last week, how Trevin Giles absolutely just like the way he throws, it's with power. He's trying to hurt you. Bevon Lewis, when he throws, it looks like he's trying to score points against you. And that, you know, really made a difference, man. Bevon could yeah. just not stand up. I don't know what's, yeah, power. I don't know what's next for him. Um, and that big heavyweight fight, Alexander Romanoff, you know, exciting. And he got the win um, in round one, but I, I expected him to get, get top control much, much more easily. Uh, and much faster, and he got popped a, a bunch. So I worry about his his striking. It's a question of is this guy going to run through the heavyweight division or not? So I'm curious as to as to who's next for him. But I felt like um, you know not as Brock Lesnar versus Heath Herring as his last victory was. Still, I mean, you know, still choked him out in one round with a friggin' forearm choke. But it's uh, I, I he he looked a little less amazing to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do hear that, but if you look at his career, and I've watched a lot of tape on this guy, uh, I, I said last week how these two guys were, uh, ma- when they were matched up a couple of months ago, the odds were so much closer, and I was going to make a lot of money on Romanov. Unfortunately, the Lima tested positive for COVID, if I remember correctly, but yeah, Alexander Romanov, he's gotten popped in his career several times. He's not a great, great stand-up fighter. He's explosive and fancy, but he doesn't have like levels to it, right? He doesn't have high-level setups. He can't uh, slip and counter you. He can't uh, make you make a mistake which then would give him the opportunity to finish you. But on the ground, when it comes to takedowns, he's solid. And uh, DeLima is known for being excellent in the first few minutes of a fight until he gasses. Uh, I don't I don't know if he had a chance to get gassed here. I think he was just overwhelmed by Romanov, who choked him out with a goddamn forearm choke. Nick, DeLima's supposed to be like a... I don't know if he's a black belt, but I, th- I think he's he, he's got a little more respect on the ground than, than uh, he kind of earned in this fight. Really good performance by Romanov. I'm very excited to see him compete. And yeah, look, let's give him kind of the outskirts of the top 15. Um, I, I don't think we need to see him fight the cream of the crop just yet. I think a little bit of a slow rise would be really good for him. We've got number, thir- uh, number 13 is Cyril gone, for God's sake, right? Tied for number 13. So I don't think we need to rush him in the, into that territory uh, yet. Uh, Sergey Pavlich, Walt Harris might be a good fight for him to make it into, into the top 15, where I think there isn't a whole lot of risk. I think he should be able to run over a guy like Walt. Maybe Alexei Olenek would be interesting, given the grappling chops of that guy. Who's that dude? 
Oh my god, I forget him. He fights everybody. He's big. He's kind of a grappler. Oh Jesus, he fought. Uh, he fought Derek Lewis. He's fought everyone, but he's not in the top thirteen right now, so I can't see it. I gotta go to Tapology. Oh, you're, you're to Tybura. Yes, Marcin Tybura. Um, I th- I actually think that would be like a like a bit of a tough like a, a toughish test for Romanov, which is not the worst thing because Tybura is really a good fighter. That's the that's the, I know that's what I want to see. I'm there with you. Darren Elkins looked good against Eduardo Garagori. Nikolai just, you know, took him down at will. Mostly. He got, you know, he, he got hit a lot, but, he's, but he, yeah, he was a takedown machine. I think he's got most takedowns in featherweight history. And, Gar, you know, yeah, Garagori is just one of these guys who I don't think is, is quite either strong or well-rounded enough. Uh, Max Griffin, I, I thought the first round could have gone either way, but he he pieced up uh, Remy's, he launched uh, Remy's uh, Brahimaj. And, uh, you know, punched or elbowed his ear off later in the fight. So that was that. Um, so, good, you know, t- team it was. T- uh, so team out, team out for Miles Griffin is uh, maybe over a little bit of a hump. We'll see who he gets next. And late replacement former UFC fighter Anthony Burchak was completely overwhelmed by his uh, his friend, the surging Gustavo Lopez, who more or less owned every inch of the fight. Yeah, he really did. Just put the pressure on and finished him by rear naked choke in the first round. Really nice performance, especially on short notice for Lopez. And I think it helps to know that you can dominate a guy from training. That's a pretty good situation to walk into it. Uh, if you look at Anthony Burchak on tape, he is not a good fighter, like really at all. He's extremely slow for 135 pounds. And, uh, and you know what? Lopez did a great job of showing it. And here's the thing. We do have to quickly talk about the fact that Tiago Santos was John Jones' last opponent. Right. Uh, Anthony Smith was one of John Jones's last couple of opponents. And both of these men were finished by Glover Teixeira, whereas yeah. John Jones went to the scorecards the, with both guys. But at the same time, and you may tell me that this is poppycock or hogwash or whatever term you'd like to use. But Jones makes it like hogwash. OK, Jones says, you know, he says this, he said this after the Santos fight. Jones goes into these fights with stu- specifically with stupid strategies to humor himself and see if he can see if he can pull things off. He said after the Santos fight, he's like, yeah, I decided to kickbox a kickboxer. Like I like the implication is that if John Jones wants to flip somebody on their head and choke them out, he can, but he's bored with that. So he decides to up the degree of difficulty by taking not easiest path strategies um, for his own enjoyment and probably to psychologically damage his opponents. Like, is that true? Is that not true? I just don't think it's as easy as John Jones had a tough time and Glover Teixeira didn't. If John Jones is specifically saying like, yeah, I didn't want to take him down because I wanted to test myself in this area. Like that's a, you know, we have to take that into consideration. I think. You think we have to take into consideration the fact that John Jones has an excuse for a poor performance. Then why did it? Well, like, then why didn't like, John this Jones? Sounds like a very Donald well, Trump why didn't thing do not compare John Jones? Not, like I wasn't trying thing. Well, you why didn't he take down Santos? Extremely close fights. I'm sorry. Then why didn't he take? Why down? didn't I? Wouldn't make that case for for uh, against um, Dominic Ray, the Dominic Reyes fight. I don't know what because Jones tried to do everything he could. <laughs> like he seemed like he was right. Fighting. So why would why would Jones try in the one fight and not try in the other fight? Both fights being very close in both fights you know he's not I, comfortable i don't know but i don't feet. do you remember him in the santos fight trying to put santos on his back a lot and failing 
I do remember at least one failed takedown attempt, and that is fair that he he didn't like try twenty twenty five of them. But Santos is a mover, right? He's the kind of guy who's going to circle around the perimeter of the octagon to make sure that he doesn't stand in front of you. And I think is probably his footwork more than anything else that was a factor there. But again, like if you're going to tell me that John Jones wanted to have two kind of ho hum fights with middleweights and Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith, and then that he wanted to have uh, a losing effort to Dominic Reyes that only two of the judges or only the judges thought that he won, really. I'm excluding the Reyes fight. I feel like with those guys that moved up from middleweight, he was like, I'm going to I'm going to switch to this other mode and fight and fight them this way. And it's a theory. I'm not saying it's a, I 100 percent believe yeah. it. I'm saying I'm just not sure. I'm not sure it's apples to apples. Glover burns through guys and Jones has difficulty. I don't know. Well, here's here's why I think it's apples to apples, because John Jones' last three fights were Dominic Reyes, Tiago Santos, and Anthony Smith. Two of those fights, a lot of folks thought that John Jones lost, and one of those fights uh, was a very ho-hum fight, right? All three were decisions, and all three men have been finished since then, Nick. So it's it's not like, it's not like John Jones ruined Dominic Reyes with that performance, right? It's that... John Jones is just a fraction of his former self. Uh, yeah, that's possible. Either that or the division has surpassed him. But look, if, if we realistically look at that. It could be column A, column B. Lots of times, several things are going on simultaneously. Yeah, 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 that's true. I just feel like giving John Jones the benefit of like his bullshit excuse about how, yeah, you know, I just wanted to make it tough on myself because that's the kind of guy I am. Like the guy's done performance enhancing drugs, not because he wants to make it tough on himself, I don't think. I honestly think that John Jones is understandably, by the way, he's been he's he's had dozens and dozens of uh championship MMA rounds in his MMA career. Like I don't blame him for deteriorating over time. The only way that he wouldn't be is if he was still on the juice or something, right? Like, it's understandable. And he's still, if not the best, and certainly one of the best uh, overall in the sport. But let's not kid ourselves. John Jones is a fraction. For of over a decade, by the way. not the same guy. Yeah, absolutely. And look, he's had a story career. The uh, Matt Hamill fight John was 11 Jones. years ago. That's wow, that's insane. I remember exactly where I was sitting watching that fight. Me too. Um, actually, had a bet on it on Matt Hamill, Nick, that I ended up winning undeservedly. So that's hilarious, yeah, it, isn't, isn't it, Nick? I actually, I literally turned off that fight as soon as like I kind of had the sound off. I was on the phone. The fight ended with John Jones dropping those elbows. The referee waves it off. I turn off the TV or or I walk away at least for a few minutes, and I assume that John Jones just picked up another win. I was like, God damn it, that bet didn't work out. And it turns out he won, Nick. It was absolutely insane. But yeah, look, John Jones is not the same guy he was. It's understandable that he's not. I've talked previously about how John Jones has many, many, many wins over guys that have held the UFC title. A guy like Khabib Nurmagomedov has never beaten a sitting champion in his career. And the one former champion that he did beat was impressive. It was Conor McGregor, but that's it, Nick. He had never beaten a guy that used to hold a title or that is currently holding a title. Yeah, I don't think that that's entirely so many guys. I guess, but he, he he beat a lot of guys who held titles when the sport was three generations ago in terms of, you know, in terms of evolution. But oh, yeah, yeah. John Jones, did, that's fair. And it's not only that, but it's a 205 pound division. But facts are facts. And as far as accomplishments, right, Khabib won the title from Ally Quinta. John Jones has beaten Gustafson. He's beaten Cormier. If you're also yes, he also, well he beat several he beat several interim champions. He beat number one contenders. Like I guess congratulations, but that's not you know that's not the goal here. Like like if we're being realistic about the interim title, Poirier and Gaethje, like those guys did not deserve 
UFC world title belts. They they were just placeholders that were kind of number one contenders uh, fights. But anyway, we really went off on a tangent. But yeah, I just feel like we we have to give credit where credit's due. These guys are getting finished by other people. The people that John Jones barely made it through are getting smashed. And I think honestly that it's more a testament to where John Jones is now. Because let's face it, Tiago Santos came in as a meddling middleweight into the light heavyweight division. Nick, uh, before we move on to our next segment, before we take a break, I quickly do want to mention, guys, if you can, leave us a review. There are hundreds of you guys out there, and we have like 15 or 16 reviews on iTunes. Um, so please do leave us a review. Please do uh, write, jot a couple things down that you like about the podcast if you love it. Also, um, I did uh, have another profitable week on the betting guide, and we're going to get into that in the third segment. So another good week on that. That end, one of my bets recommended, Nick, was Andre Arlovsky by decision. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the fight that may, I, you know, in that one, I thought it, could, it was possible it could have gone to Bozer, but I did think Arlovsky won the fight, and we ended up tying. So we're now 16, 12, and 6. You're 16, 12, and 6. I'm 12, 16, and 6 um, on our scoring. But I, it was a, a cl- very close decision um, that was my loss. So I went 4 and 1. And is that true? There were 10 fights, right? Yeah, I went four and one and you went four and one, but your fighter was defeated. So really, I had I had smarter picks, but we let's go. Let's get into next this week's picks. Whatever feels good, buddy. Let's take a break and we're going to come back and break down Paul Felder versus Rafael Dos Anjos and all the shenanigans happening below that main event. Back on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast, we're going to break down UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos. The way it works is that we each take turns drafting fighters on the card, and at the end of Saturday night, whichever of us has picked more winning fighters ends up winning the week. I am up by four events over Nick. We're coming toward the end of the year, Nick. It's crunch time. These draws are not going to do it for you, buddy. you got to step through. I think this is a great card, actually, for you to potentially win, because I think it easily could go either way. It's uh, There's several fights on here that I've had a really hard time oh, yeah. uh, picking a winner in. Uh, let's dive right into it, Nikolai. Who's got the first pick? I don't know. This week, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm quickly gonna I'm quickly gonna look at last week's picks. Um, I believe that I had I think it might have been you last week who who picked uh, Sean Strickland over Jack Marshman first. Uh, so it should be my first pick, I believe, this time. And my first pick, Nikolai, is going to be Abdul Razak Al Hassan oh, wow. to beat Chaos Williams. Um, look, Williams is athletic and has natural power, but his technique sucks. He debuted with a big first round KO over experienced veteran Alex Morono, but he generally drags guys to the floor and controls without looking particularly smooth or technical. And that's like on the regional scene. He's athletic, right? But he doesn't really have the technique behind it. So I favor Hassan, who trains with a better team in Fortis MMA. He hits harder and with better technique. Plus, Chaos is going into his second UFC fight while Hassan is entering his seventh UFC contest. So uh, I, I like the favorite in this one, Nick. I, I realize it's risky. Yeah. I mean, this is they've been doing this a lot with, with co-main events uh, lately, just like Gunslinger against Gunslinger. And Al Hassan went out too fast in his last fight, and and kind of ran out of gas and got defeated by that terrific, I think Persian fighter whose name I cannot remember right now. Um, and Chaos had that uh, had a big KO recently, 
But I think Alhazan probably has the better upside. His performances have been better. We'll, we'll see. But I was going to be my pick. It was going to be a little bit later because these these trigger happy gunslinger fights can can be difficult to pick. Um, my first pick that. is going to be one of the uh, two 21-year-old prospects at strawweight. I'm going to pick uh, Kay Hansen, who had that victory over Jin Yu Frey uh, to defeat the Hobbit, Corey McKenna, who fights out of – is she a um, – is she an alpha male fighter? Team alpha yeah. male. She's an yep. alpha male fighter. She did not. I mean, she looks young. She looks a little green. Her contender series performance wasn't awesome. It's her first time in the big dance, whereas Kay Hansen's been there. I believe Kay Hansen also has a significant reach advantage, uh, if I'm if I'm correct, with her reach at 63, and Corey McKenna's reach at. Watch me be wrong about all this. At 58, no, at 58 and a half. That's a four and yep. a half inch reach advantage. There's a reason why they call her the Hobbit. Um, English fighter. She seems really cool. Like, I think she could have a great upside. I mean, Jesus, she was almost, she was born in 99. Christ, we're old. Yeah. Um, I was already yeah, in my, my second job by then. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Hanston here. I think that, uh, I think that she should be able to overwhelm the greener prospect. Uh, yeah. McKenna, like you said, trains at, T.A.M. Uh, she was actually a powerlifter since she was 15 years old, Nick. She's 21 now, 5-1 uh, going into this bout after putting together a record of 7-0 and as an amateur. She has sharp hands and some serious swagger. Not easy to take down, but can end up in compromising positions, uh, even if she's on top uh, against a good grappler. Hansen won her UFC debut against Jin Yu Frey after losing the first round in a competitive chess match on the feet. Uh, Hansen came on strong and then ended up finishing in the third round. Look, this is a pair of 21-year-olds who are facing each other in the UFC here, right? Good on both these girls for having the mindset and the work ethic to compete in the biggest league at this age. I'll give this latest to Hansen. I'm not as confident as you because I'm assuming she'll be able to get takedowns. But if McKenna can make good use of that team alpha male training and avoid takedowns, she can certainly take a decision here despite the reach discrepancy. Uh uh, for the record, I think the odds are off on this one, but I do agree with the pick slightly. I, I think McKenna is a really talented striker, and I like that she has a great team behind her. So uh, it should be a little bit closer. I'm not saying it should be a pick em, but uh, I do uh, agree with you on the pick. This would have been like my fifth or sixth pick uh, on, on this card. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be in the main event before between oh, Rafael dos Anjos and Paul Felder. Was this going to be next for you? Yes. Uh, RDA is in a rut at 170 pounds as he heads back down to 155 for the first time since 2016. After having won his first three fights at 170, he went one in five in his last six. But his losses include Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, and Leon Edwards, right? The three best guys at 170 and much bigger men than he is. His welterweight wins include Robbie Lawler, Neil Magny, and Kevin Lee. That's a pretty respectable list of victims. He's a fast, fairly explosive southpaw with a mean pressure game, solid body and calf kicks, uh, backed up by solid boxing game. And he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu on top of that. Um, solid wrestling on top of all that. Like, he really is pretty good unless he's facing a much bigger wrestler. Felder has decent takedown defense, but not great. He's been taken down by four of his last five opponents. Felder took this five-round fight on five days' notice, but he has been focused on endurance training for a triathlon since basically the COVID lockdown, so, so he should be able to be in solid cardiovascular shape going into this one. Felder is also known for having a hard time making 155, and he said that he cannot take a short-notice lightweight fight in the past, right? 
but he did in this case, which tells me that either he's in extremely good shape and he's not that far off, or that he's really going to deplete himself and, and maybe not perform on fight night. RDA is a pressure fighter who doesn't like to be pressured, but Felder doesn't like to be pressured either, and Felder is not really comfortable pressuring. So that favors RDA, in my opinion. I agree. Even though Felder has been staying in shape, he hasn't been sparring or rolling at all. He's been hitting pads here and there, which means that his timing is going to be off. Like he, he doesn't truly know what it feels like to have a, a live body in front of him. I'm sure he's done a little bit of work in the five days leading up to the fight. Plus, there's a difference between triathlon endurance and MMA endurance. He retired after a competitive decision lost to Dan Hooker, only to announce that he would come back for the right fight shortly after. But he does kind of have one foot out the door. If you hear him in interviews, it doesn't sound like he's planning on doing this for the long haul. This is either his last fight or his second to last fight is what it sounds like. Um, RDA will be faster, even though Felder is bigger. RDA also has the option of taking it to the ground where he should have the advantage. I'm picking RDA, but it's possible that he simply passed his prime regardless of weight class, right? Uh, and he could also walk into a Felder elbow if he's too aggressive. But I'm picking RDA to pressure his way to an exciting decision victory. Same. I just think that I just don't see any way for Felder to get around the grappling prowess of RDA. I think it's some. I think that's what it's up to. I could easily see this being a three to two or four to one decision. Um, I could see Felder yep. Felder winning maybe the first couple of rounds of them being very close with him landing some uh, you know some solid shots. But yeah, this is RDA's show. Uh, next, I'm gonna go with Julian Marquez, a guy who's got you know in the last three years wins over Darren Stewart and and Phil Hawes. Um, in just a one split decision loss against us to beat uh, Saperbeg Safarov, who has mostly just looked terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I don't disagree that Saferbeck has not looked great, but I don't like I, I do think he actually has the skills to potentially do well in this matchup. Julian trains at uh, Gloria MMA under James Krause in the gang, which is pretty impressive. He's dynamic standing and has a decent pressure game, but he can be countered by a faster fighter, and he doesn't have very good takedown defense, even though he kind of does damage from every position, even if he's on his back. Marquez, more importantly, he gets up well from takedowns. Plus, he has a pretty good submission game. He like tends to go for it from almost every position. Um, on top of that, his conditioning and his heart are not in question, but he has been out for two years, so... Curious if he has improved during this layoff or if he's been kind of in a weird place. Safarov actually has pretty good wrestling, has a decent jab and some pop in his hands. And his ground and pound is pretty good, but his gas tank isn't great and his submission defense needs work. I favor Marquez, especially in a small cage since he prefers to pressure, but Safarov has good wrestling and Marquez doesn't. Good news for Marquez is that Safarov doesn't have a good submission game once they're on the ground, but the betting odds are too wide apart in my opinion. Uh, This is a dog or pass fight for me as far as the betting goes. My next pick, Nick, is going to be in the Alex Morono versus Reese McKee fight. I can see myself I can see myself regretting this pick at this point. Morono prefers to strike pretty unorthodox hooks and kicks, probably inspired by his traditional martial arts background. Uh, good overall MMA game. He's been making a lot of improvements lately, and he's coming off of a knockout loss to Chaos Williams, who's also on the card. McKee's an English striker who's moved up from 145 in the amateurs to 155 in the pros to 170 now in the big leagues. Uh, in his last two showings, he was put in a terrible position of having to fight a much bigger Kamzat Shemaev in his UFC debut. It only took four minutes to, for Shemaev to basically ragdoll and pound out McKee. I like Marano to look pretty good at this one. 
If his chin is not seriously affected by the recent KO loss, he should be the better fighter here overall. Reese is very hittable and can be taken down. But Reese likes to pressure, and I could see that being a little bit of a concern because Morono likes to circle on the outside. And I could see Reese's jab making this an interesting competitive fight, but I've got Morono. Yeah, me too. I don't have much other commentary to add. This is, this is all these all just get Fair really enough. tricky after this. A few that are tricky in a good way, and others that I'm just like, ugh. Like the following fight where <laughs> Kanako Murata, I'm gonna pick her to uh to defeat the Canadian wrestler uh Random Marcos, who I just think hasn't looked that great, you know, been on a bit of a losing streak, doesn't have a terrific fight IQ. Um and Murata, I believe it's her I believe it's her UFC debut. Um, coming off of an Invicta win against Emily uh, Emily Dakota, and uh, she's a terrific. I think she's a terrific wrestler, and it's a kind of, it's wrestler versus wrestler here, um, and which could lead to a mediocre kickboxing match. But I would still favor. Uh, I would still favor. I think uh, Murata there. So I just yeah. I just don't have a lot of faith in 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 Random Marcos right now. Yeah, I'm there with you. Marcos is exciting, but she's kind of a journey woman. She tends to get tired late in a fight, and she took this fight on nine days' notice, which should exasperate that. This is going to be, I think, her first three-fight losing streak as Murata is a serious wrestler, 12-1, and her one loss being very early in her career to an 18-2 and fighter at the time. She's only 5-1, but she'd be able to control Marcos to a decision win. Uh, but standing, Marcos should have the edge early, but her takedown defense, I think, is not good enough to compete uh, with Murata here. So I'm there with you, and this was going to be my next pick as well. My next pick, Nick, is going to be in the Brendan Allen versus Sean Strickland matchup. Wow. Uh, I thought prospect this would be last. Prospect okay. matchup. Uh, no, I, I have fights that I'm less confident in than this one based on the style matchup. Even though when I first looked at it, I was like, holy crap, how am I going to pick this fight? Allen is a solid grappler with serious mission game and good ground and pound. Pretty good standing, but not very developed there. He likes to pressure with big strikes uh, to kind of set up the takedown. He was scheduled to fight last week against uh, Ian Heinich, but Heinich ended up pulling out. And uh, he recently, actually, I do want to mention, made a transition from Rufus Sport to Sanford MMA which I think is fascinating. Sean Strickland is a really sharp striker. He doesn't love to go to the ground. And in his last matchup last week, actually, I thought that he could literally finish that fight in the first round if he just went for a takedown, but he didn't. There's another important dynamic here besides this being a grappler versus striker is that Allen is a pressure fighter and Strickland really likes his distance. He lost to Ponzinibbio and Kamaru Usman because he couldn't handle the pressure. Both men were able to take him down partially because of that pressure. Obviously, Usman being a phenomenal wrestler helps. I think Allen can overwhelm Strickland with pressure and power shots until Strickland's back hits the cage, which is when Allen will get his double leg and begin to uh, put in some work. Yep, I. this one's really, really tricky. But, oh man, after Strickland, Strickland looks so good, but against Jack Marshman. I think I think Allen's going to find a way to get a tap here. I like it, Nick. I'm there with you. What's your next pick? Dante Mays is going to, uh, I think, is going to take out uh, Rocky Martinez. Um, listen, Dante Mays out of Jackson Wink, which is mo- usually a good thing against against the journeyman uh, in Rocky Martinez, who's been in there with some of the best of them and is a tough, you know, is, is a tough, accomplished dude, but a younger, more prospect shaped object with a lot of, I think, with a lot of power um, in, in Dante Mays. I think that. I think it'll be a little bit of a, a little bit of a showcase uh, for Mr. You know, for Mr. Mays. He's, he's still coming up and he went three rounds with Cyril gain before getting, before getting heel hooked. So in this fight against this kind of competition, 
I think he's gonna um I think he's just gonna outbomb him. <laughs> this is pretty much what I think. What do you think? I heard I hear that. I actually disagree with the pick. Wow. Mays is athletic and hits hard, but he doesn't have much depth to his game, nor does he have a ground game at all. I'm favoring Roke, who's way shorter. I like his chances of pressuring into the clinch and doing some damage there and possibly landing a couple of takedowns. But if Roke stays on the outside and does not try to pressure forward, he will lose this fight. Dantel Mays hits incredibly hard. He's got a huge reach and size advantage in this one. So, uh, you know, it, I'm not confident in my disagreement here, but I do disagree picking the plus 180 underdog Roke Martinez. Uh, my next pick, Nick. I, I, I'm very unsure about this one. I think it could easily go either way, but I'm going to pick Tony Gravely to beat Geraldo DeFratis. Gravely is a really good wrestler, decent striking. DeFratis has really good jiu-jitsu and actually pretty solid striking overall. I just kind of like Tony Gravely's ability to control where the fight goes. I might regret this. There's a fair chance that I might change this pick, but I'm going to go with Tony Gravely as of now. Yeah, I had the same. I had the same pick, although it could go either way. Uh, Defrades fights with his chin up uh, a bit, but and I think Gravely should be able to defend himself on on his back and not get tapped. But we'll see. Um, this is a really chicken win. I'm going to go with the ever unimpressive Eric Anders um, to defeat uh, some guy named Arroyo with a first name that I can't remember. <laughs> So professional. Antonio Arroyo. Antonio Arroyo. Yep. Arroyo, I've heard on, on other like uh, videos and podcasts that he's the guy that people bring in to shout uh, to mimic Tiago Santos. And I wonder, like Bevan, like Bevan Lewis, if he's one of those guys who's just kind of like a training partner, sparring guy who hasn't looked that good. Um, Anders is not very fast and he gets tired, but he does hit hard. Um, and he's a, he's just, and he's an intimidating presence. Like he's a big fucking slab of meat. And I, I don't know what's what exactly is going to happen here, but I have a feeling, and it'll be if it'll be an Anders victory that looks like his other victories. It's not pretty. He lands some hard shots, and when the judges shrug and have to say something, they're going to decide that he won. Yeah, I actually like this matchup a lot. Uh, Arroyo is a very fast middleweight. He's kind of creative with the striking, almost Zabit Yair Rodriguez at one eighty five, but he kind of looks like Luke Rockhold kind of just a chiseled, good-looking, southpaw, tall middleweight. Switches stances off and really focuses more on his kicking game than his boxing. Also like Luke Rockhold, but still does a good job of staying out of the way of counters. He's happy to go for takedowns, especially against an opponent who's also a striker, but he won't necessarily do much once he's on top. He also doesn't do much from bottom on the ground, but he was able to reverse position and get back to his feet in his UFC debut against a very high-level BJJ black belt in uh, in Muniz. His first two losses came by way of submission uh, in his career, which is kind of shows growth since he was able to get through that fight with Muniz to decision. Um, Andrews is a gritty journeyman, tends to lose to athletic prospects and beats guys that probably don't belong in the UFC. He likes to pressure forward with heavy strikes, which opens up takedowns against the fence. Speed is an issue for him, like you said. Uh, sometimes he literally looks like he's moving in slow motion when he's facing a fast opponent like Khalil Roundtree. He took this fight on three weeks' notice after Arroyo's original opponent pulled out, which is part of the reason I'm picking Arroyo. I think not only does he have the speed advantage, I think his footwork will help him stay out of the way of takedowns. His kicking game is going to be dangerous to Anders. But Anders took the fight on short notice, so I, I expect oh, like I didn't know about the, seven I, minute. I mark. didn't know about the short notice. I'm officially changing my pick. <laughs> Nikolai, you do this all the time. I do not. I haven't done. I haven't done it in forever. And you changed Lewis from Lewis to to Trevin Giles last week. So 
you know what? Yeah, but I didn't do it based on your breakdown. I did. It, I did, it I wasn't a breakdown. It was anyway. news. It wasn't like this is an analysis. That's new. That's news. Whatever. It's fine, Nick. Uh, my next pick is going to be. This is where it gets really, really tough. I had a hard time with both these picks. I'm going to give a slight edge. This is another fight I might end up changing my pick on. I'm going to give a slight edge to Ashley Yoder over Miranda Granger. I think that Yoder might have the wrestling advantage, and Granger, when she's taken down, basically goes for submissions. And Yoder has really good overall grappling game, even though she's slow as heck. Um, I think if it stays standing, Miranda Granger will have a decent edge, but I expect Yoder should be able to drag this to the floor, at least occasionally, to pick up a competitive split decision that you know Miranda Granger looks good late in. So you're picking Yoder, okay? I, I was gonna pick. Yep. I was gonna pick Granger in that, uh, based on how good she looked in her that fight that she had the night where I picked against her against the woman whose name I can't remember right now. This is what happens when I don't have my coffees, uh, Stanislav. <laughs> so the very last pick of the show, oof, tough one here. So you've got Smolka who hasn't looked great since he came back, uh, really against not terrific competition. I mean, lost to Matt Schnell, lost to Casey Kenny both uh, first-round subs. And you, so, you know, he had one win over McDonald. You've got Quinones, who uh, has snuck at a win between losses against Nathaniel Wood and Sean O'Malley. So these guys have basically been prospect meat for the last, you know, for the last 18 <laughs> months. Um, I just, I gotta, I gotta go with Quinones here. I just don't have a lot of faith in Lewis Smolka at this, at this juncture. And I think, and I mean, it's accepting the uh, accepting the O'Malley uh, loss, I feel like he's looked a little bit a little bit better um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I hear that. I overall, I agree with you. But Smoka's losses are to kind of top level guys, truly top level guys. Whereas, you think so? You know who? Uh, yeah, are you kidding? His his last Ryan McDonald, Sue Madergi against. I mean, Casey Kenny. His losses, sure. Nick. His losses. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Casey Kenny and Match Now. Yeah. Those are. But yeah. Like the, the, these are really talented, good fighters. But the same thing for. I mean, it's O'Malley and Nathan Wood and Nathaniel Wood for. Kenyonas. Uh, yeah. No. I. I do. I do hear that. And to be fair, Kenyonas took down Nathaniel Wood, uh, even though he got absolutely starched by O'Malley, who, in my opinion, is not on the same level as the guys that Louis Smoker recently lost to. Um. Yeah. Look. Uh. That's it's, I mean, it's that's probably that could... true. I mean, it depends what you choose, to, what you try to do with O'Malley. I think. I mean, he's obviously a talented kid. He's just. I don't know. I think. Well, yeah. He's just not as accomplished as Casey Kenny, uh, and maybe Matchnell. arguably, you know, is is probably even with or maybe yeah, a little yeah. below. But Casey Kenny is legit. He's a monster. Here's the thing. Um, the main, like I, on paper, would favor Quinones here. I think he might be the better wrestler. He might be the better striker. The problem with Quinones is that. He is really good when he's able to have his distance to do his thing, when he's able to pressure forward occasionally. But he's not very good when he's being pressed back. He kind of sucks on his back foot. He falls frequently when he's throwing kicks. He's off balance. And for that reason, I'm giving the slightest to Smoko, who, based on his last win over McDonald, he just put it on McDonald, just nonstop forward pressure with bombs at all times. I think if he does that against Quinones, he's going to have a pretty good night. The question is, can Smoko keep that going uh, for three rounds? Because I'm not sure that he, I don't think he's likely to finish Quinones. I'm favoring Smoko very, very slightly. Uh, this is a pick em bout for a decision, but you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if Quinones is faster and ends up being able to keep a distance and win on points that way. So you know a couple of disagreements on this one, Nikolai. A good, well, not a great, not if, if not a fights. If we're going to be perfectly go, honest, oh, I'm not. 
yeah, I could easily go yep. for five here. Or over six. Say, yes, same same here, man. This like there are a lot of fights on here that could easily go either way. I'm quickly gonna run through our picks. My first pick was Abdul Razak Al Hassan. I had RDA second, Alex Morono third, Brendan Allen fourth. My fifth pick was Tony Gravely, and sixth I took Ashley Yoder. Your first pick was Kay Hansen, Julian Marquez second, third you picked uh, Kanako Murata over Random Marcos. Your fourth pick was Dontel Mays. Fifth, you took Eric Anders, but then because of my analysis, you changed it to Antonio Arroyo. And your sixth pick was uh, Quinones to beat Smoka. Nikolai, look forward to discussing the results. I think it could go either way. And you need a win, my friend, if you're going to take this season. You need a couple of wins in a row here, buddy. Yeah, I thought I had one last week, but fucking Tanner Bozer. Anyway. Cool, man. Enjoy. Good luck with your betting. And it, when it, you know, you know the number to call when shit turns bad. One eight hundred eight 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 Nikolai. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'll just bail you out of jail. It's basically all you're gonna get from me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Would you actually bail me, bail me out of jail if I get in trouble? I would bail you out of jail, but I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know that I would. That I would give you money to pay your vig. Well, that's fair. Like, I'm not. I'm not asking for a major loan. Like, just bail me out of jail. I will then pay you back. But would you actually bail me out of jail, Nick? Yeah, I would. I'm just. I'm more concerned about like you not making the vig to your bookie. I hear that. Let's let's not be so concerned about that. You just bail me out and let me worry about the rest. Nikolai, good one in the books, buddy. Looking forward to connecting next week. What do we got next week? What the hell is it it even? Is it a pay-per-view? What do do we have on the schedule? Let's see. Is it a pay-per-view? I doubt it. I feel like we would have seen that coming. Uh, Next, Yeah, actually, UFC 255, Nikolai. Davison Figueredo versus Alex Perez. Uh, co-headliners Valentina Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya. Brandon Roy Val is uh, is competing on that one. We've got some some good stuff coming up. As a matter of fact, Brandon Oof. Moreno versus Brandon Roy Val is great. Craig Hua a rematch is great. Joaquin Buckley is coming back. Uh, oh shit! Brandon against Brandon, back. just like I asked for. All right, that's a, Brandon Bre- Moreno and Roy Val. That just I mean. That's, oh yeah. That's a good we one. got uh, Chukagians back in like two, like That's less right. than a month after getting TKO'd. Um, That's right. Perry Means is a pretty good matchup. Uh, the younger Shevchenko yeah, is fighting is not, Marianne Lipsky. This still ain't a pay per view card, but um, but I'll, I'll get it. This yeah, is not I, a, Listen, I I I don't often put money into the UFC coffers, but I will enjoy this this event whatever way I can. Kyle Dukas, can I just say, Dacus. is coming back after that war with Brendan. Yeah, Dacus is coming back after that war with Brendan Allen, Nick, and I am very excited about that prospect. He's fighting a guy who's 13-1 and who I have not researched yet, so very curious how that will stack up. Yeah, fun. I mean, some fun fights. And the long-awaited fans around the world have been just itching for this rematch. I hear people talking about it. Um, everywhere from Tel Aviv to Stockholm <laughs> to Stockton, which is Mauricio Shogun Rua against the Jew Bear Paul Craig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is actually a pretty exciting matchup. No, it's not. A few it's not. Ago. It's just, Are I, you kidding? we don't need this. It was fight. exciting. It's just so stupid. <laughs> I'm not saying I want to see Mauricio Hua fight Paul Craig, but it was an exciting matchup. Go watch it, Nikolai. I did. Uh, I mean, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's exciting the way watching faces of death or car crashes is enjoying. <laughs> Fair enough. That's really I'll talk. To, I'll, t- I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Talk to you soon, buddy. And I'm back for the betting guide. 
Last week was a good week for us. We ended up profiting $97, brought our total up to 900 bucks, which means we've tripled our investment from two and a half months ago. Some of my winning bets from last week were, I had a hedge on Andre Arlovsky by decision at plus 450. I only bet 11 bucks to win $50 on that one, but that was kind of to mitigate uh, the potential loss in a parlay between Santos and Bowser. I'm really glad I did that because I basically lost nothing between those two bets. I kind of hedged Arlovsky thinking that if uh, either Bowser or Santos slip up, Arlovsky should be my saving grace by decision. I, I felt like he could, had a decent chance of taking that win from Bowser. Uh, Honey Barcelos and Romanov in a parlay uh, made 66 buck on, bucks on that. I had a straight bet on Brendan Allen. That fight didn't happen. And then Yan Zhaonan, 67 bucks to win 50 on her. So we're in good standing there. Let's get into some of the opportunities on this weekend's card headlined by RDA and Paul Felder. I feel like this hedge system has been working for me where I put together a parlay of two fighters and then I hedge with a prop bet on one of their opponents that I think is likely to be the one to be able to get that upset. And it has been kind of covering me. I put myself in a situation where if that parlay works out, then I've got a really good profit from that one bet. And if the parlay doesn't work out, I'm likely to have covered myself with that prop bet, which is kind of what happened with that Arlovsky bet I made. It was it was 11 bucks to 150, and it kind of covered me on the loss on that prop bet involving Bozer. So I'm kind of going to do some of the same here, uh, doing a little bit of experimenting. I feel like we're in good standing, and I like to experiment once in a while because sometimes I figure out uh, betting kind of strategies that I haven't heard about before. So we're going to try this, right? Uh, Al-Hassan and Julian Marquez, $100 to win 96 on those two in a parlay. This is a bit of a risk. This is actually something like 12% of our total bankroll, this one bet. So I do want to hedge it. So I'm going to hedge with Williams inside the distance at plus 275. I think the only way that Chaos Williams is going to beat Razak Al-Hassan is if he catches him with the bomb like he did in his UFC debut against Alex Morono. I don't necessarily think it's likely, but I'm willing to risk 18 bucks if it's going to hedge me on a $100 bet. I'm also going to play $7 on Safarbek Safarov by decision. Another hedge, right? Because I have Marquez in this parlay. $7 to win 50 bucks plus 700 odds. It seems kind of insane to me. So... Seven bucks to win 50. The idea is that I bet that 100 on that parlay. If I profit from it, I win that $96. And yeah, I'm going to lose out on about 25 bucks from that 96, but I'm still going to end up with 70 from that $100 bet, right? Otherwise, I have a situation where if that bet does not go well for me, let's say either Williams or Sefrov get an upset, I'm going to cover myself at least to some extent with a $50 profit from one of those bets. Let's see how it works out. Um, Kay Hansen and Al-Hassan, I don't generally like to put uh, the same guy in two parlays, but I kind of feel like Al-Hassan should be so much better unless he's mentally in a terrible place. He should be better in every way than Chaos Williams, except that Chaos Williams is coming off a knockout win, so he might be kind of on a high with his confidence up there, whereas Al-Hassan is coming off of a decision loss to a UFC debutant. So not exactly a great mental place potentially for him, but $45 to win 50 on Kay Hansen and Al-Hassan. And I'm going to hedge this bet with a prop bet on McKenna by decision, plus 260. She's fighting Kay Hansen. If on the off chance Kay Hansen loses to McKenna, I don't think that Kay Hansen's getting finished. I think McKenna might be able to pick up a decision. And uh, I've already kind of hedged uh, on Al-Hassan. 
Now, next is another parlay, RDA and Alex Morono. $49 to win 70 on those two. I think it's worth the risk. I like their odds in these bouts. Uh, also, Morono and Murato. Murato is an excellent wrestler. $33 to win 50 on Morono and Murato. I'm going to recommend a straight bet on Arroyo. Plus 120 odds on him versus Eric Anders. $62 to win 75 on Antonio Arroyo. Now, I'm going to hedge this one as well, believe it or not. With another prop bet, it's going to be Anders by decision at plus 200. $31 to win 62. So if uh, Anders wins, it's more than likely going to be by decision. In which case, I will even out between these two bets. If Arroyo wins, then I'm going to have a decent profit. Now we've got one final bet, which is a little bit of a throwaway. I realize there's risk in it, but I'm only risking $15 on this one. Roque Martinez and Brendan Allen, $15 to win $70, uh, plus 470 odds on these two, given that Roque Martinez is an underdog. I'm not sure that I'm willing to really invest in Roque. I realize there's risk uh, with Brendan Allen potentially not being able to get takedowns. Uh, so it's only a $15 risk, and if both of these guys come through, it's a $70 profit. Not a bad place to be. Nick and I already discussed what's coming up next week. We have that Davidson Figueredo, Alex Perez flyweight title fight, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya in another flyweight title fight. Brandon Royval and Brandon Moreno are facing off. Uh, Shogun Hu and Paul Craig. Joaquin Buckley and Jordan Wright. Mike Perry versus Tim Means. Caitlin Chukagian versus Cynthia Calvillo. I mean, honestly, a couple of these fights could be main events on a fight night card. But I agree with Nick. It's not the greatest card in the world for a pay-per-view. It's a damn good card overall, though. Definitely some names to look forward to there. And obviously a couple of titles to be decided. I'd imagine that both champions are favorites. But I, I'm curious if there's an opportunity with Alex Perez here, who I think is a really talented fighter uh, and is a really good wrestler. Davidson Figueredo, if there's one weakness we've seen in him, is that if you, like guys with good wrestling chops can take him down and control him. So I'd say Alex Perez has a higher chance than uh, a lot of people are initially thinking. But I'm going to watch some tape, figure it out, and come back to you guys next week and break it down. Have a great week. Thank you for the listen. And guys, please don't forget, write us a quick review on iTunes. Any chance you get, we'd really appreciate the support. And uh, please do spread the word. Uh, Let people know about the podcast. We are passionate about this. We put a lot of prep time into it so that you guys don't have to. And we'd love to spread the word. Thank you and have a great week.